0: Hey, I'm Erin Bridgman, a money mindset and management coach for The Creative Entrepreneur. I'm the girl behind the Wealthy Woman movement that's reaching thousands and expanding each and every month, and I'm so glad you've decided to join this community too. Welcome to The Wealthy Woman podcast for creative female entrepreneurs looking to get strategic with their money. I believe that wealthy women will change the world, and in this podcast, we include money-related mindset and management tips and practical business advice you can apply right away. No fluff here. It's time to take action. Let me shoot it to you straight. Talking about money is like talking about sex. It's vulnerable and uncomfortable, but so necessary. And that's why I've created a judgment-free zone where women like you can trade the shame and money skeletons in your closet with empowerment and confidence that helps you master your money. I'm both the creative and the nerd, the no bullshit friend and your hype girl. And I'm excited to be your guide on your money journey. All your dreams are tied to money, so it's time to get that money working for you so you can make your dreams a reality together. Your business should be the catalyst to living your dream life, so don't let your money be the obstacle. Grab your notebook and your favorite drink and let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Show. Today, I'm really excited because my dreamy husband, Brent, is joining us for this episode. Say hi, babe.
1: Hey, everybody. Brent here. Happy to be a little fly on the wall for the Wealthy Woman movement here.
0: And today, we're going to chat specifically about our first ever real estate investment property. And uh, this story is just really fun for us to reminisce about. We took a ton of notes, but we have actually no script. So we're just going to see how this goes. You all know that we're big proponents of investing in real estate. This has been the way that we've been able to scale our wealth significantly. This is how we feel secure as we think about our future and we think about retirement. And those listening as entrepreneurs, you know that you have to think about this. We don't have an employer who is matching our 401k or helping us save for retirement. We are the retirement plan, and we hope that this story is really inspiring for you. We hope that it's extremely relatable. I always say like, yeah, we have a multi-million dollar real estate empire now, and it all started with one house. And so we're going to take it back to 2014, and we're going to dive into that story. You're going to have tons of nuggets um, from this story, and hopefully just feel really inspired that you too can step into or start to begin to scale your real estate portfolio as well. Okay, so isn't this fun, Dave, to yeah. like think about?
1: Well, thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, I feel very lucky, and it feels uh, special to get to be a part of it. So thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, we're going to do quite a few episodes together as we start to talk more and more about real estate. I know many people want to learn about this. And I thought the first episode we share about would be just really fun for us to go back into the archives and talk about the first ever deal that we did inside of real estate. So that was back in 2014. And let's just share like a little bit of the landscape of our like life then. Like what we we're up to, where we were at back when we bought our first place.
1: Yeah, so we got married in 2012. You know, we didn't have to worry about prenuptial agreements or anything at that point in our lives because we were just like, hey, I'll bring my debt. You bring your debt. We'll both be broke together and take on this life and see where we can get to. So, yeah, just the context there. We graduated from our undergrad in 2012. I got a job. I was working with my dad full time. You were in grad school. You you had just gotten your first full time job. This is a couple of years after. So we moved back to a small town called Anderson, Indiana, just north of Indianapolis in uh, central Indiana. And we were feeling like we were kings and queens. I mean, we had you had we both had two full-time jobs. You were resident directors, so we'd have to pay for housing. And we were, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was a great little season there. And we were just getting entrepreneurship going too.
0: Yeah. So Brent was working full-time with his dad. I was working full-time in higher education as a resident director, like Brent mentioned. Uh, We were both pursuing our master's degrees at this point. That's right, I just got in line. And we were in our biggest season yet in photography. So this was the year that we had booked 30 weddings from different bridal shows. And um, we decided we were really gonna go all in and go for it with... um, with our photography business because we had dreams to be able to live a lifestyle and pay off the debt that we had faster than, you know, what was going to happen to us given our salaries. And so that, that I think like, that's really important. At this point, we had about almost a hundred, we were close to like a hundred thousand dollars in debt or that's kind of what we netted out with our student debt with our undergrad and our master's degrees. So you were doing a lot of driving I was. because, uh, you know, we were about an hour north of Indianapolis, and so you were coming down to do your masters down on the Butler campus, and you were consuming a lot of a certain podcast at that time.
1: Yeah, so for me, real estate's always been kind of something I've been curious about. My dad has a duplex that he bought like 30 years ago uh, up in northern Michigan. I remember going and checking on it with him, doing tenant turns, him talking about how powerful it was for him financially throughout his life, and that always kind of planted a seed for me when I was younger. And so real estate has always kind of been something in the back of my brain. As I think about scaling wealth, I, you know, heard all these people doing it, you know, we come to find out later that, you know, nine out of 10 of the wealthiest people in the, in the world are doing it through real estate. So it's like the more of the common way to do it. And we're not necessarily unicorns here. So <laughs> that was just a, something for me anyway, to like really think about how to invest and scale what we're doing. So I found this podcast called Bigger Pockets, um, uh, at the time uh, Brandon Turner was running it and it was just a really cool platform for me to. I was just like eating it up like toast just every time I was driving down to India at about a 45-minute commute to school and I would listen to a, an episode and I just loved it so um, as Aaron and I were scaling um, the entrepreneur space with photography we were saving up some money and I just was like golly we had saved up enough money to pay off one of our student loans. What do we I think $18,000? Yeah. Right? So
0: at that point we had saved up $18,000 and I was hearing Brent talk a lot about all the things that he was learning about inside of real estate. And I certainly, I think of the two of us am a little bit less bent towards risk, but I have that in me as well as I want to make this money work for us in the best way possible. We were feeling very like under the weight of our debt having so much from our undergrad and then my master's program and so you know it was this question of we had now finally saved up $18,000 is what we had saved up from photography and we were like I said like right in the middle of our big like first big season and so there's a pile of cash. I think you thought, let's go invest it. Let's go do something with it. Let's go make it happen. I was a little bit more like, let's like roll around in the money. It's <laughs> like, enjoy the fact that we have a little bit more in savings, you know, because previous to this, I mean, we were trying to save like in our, uh, the year before we moved to Anderson, we were trying to save like, what, $300 a month? Yeah, those are our target savings.
1: Because
0: you, you were the only one working full-time. I had a grad assistantship that paid like five grand. A year. <laughs> a year, yeah, <laughs> as a grad assistant. So, you know, we were scrappy at this time. And the fact that we were able to save up the $18,000 was a really big deal for us. And inside of our current, like, finances it was a big accomplishment
1: yeah and for those of you that are photographers listening you guys know you heard Aaron correctly I mean we booked 30 weddings that year it was bananas because I was more in charge of the gear I feel like we were just literally I was downloading cards and charging batteries and thinking Mm -hmm. to myself someday we're going to come back and edit all these photos but for now let's just charge batteries and and dump cards so we were working our tails off so when we were working so hard to save up this money and I think this is a mindset thing for Aaron and I throughout our career too like it's a little bit like nerve wracking to take these, these dollars that you've worked your butt off and saved up and then redeploy them some way that you might lose them. I mean, any investment is risky. And to take that and think about what we could do with it was a little, little scary. So
0: yeah, so we're like, we could take this 18,000 and we could pay up one student loan. Or we really like, you know, we could take the $18,000 and we could invest it into an asset, which we're going to talk about, produce enough revenue that paid off all of our student debt and there's a really fun story that I want to share. So at this time, like Brent said, we were living inside of a residence hall inside of a dorm. So our housing was paid for. We had never had a mortgage at this point. And so we're going to talk about how we actually got our first mortgage. And it was one morning, the night before I said to Brent, babe, if you really feel good about this real estate thing, I can tell when Brent gets very excited about something, it's I kind of non- wear, I kind of wear Aaron down a
1: little bit. Let's just be honest.
0: Yeah, it's nonstop talking about it, excited about it. And I said to him, before, I like literally heads on our pillows, headed to bed. If this is something you really care about, you're really passionate, about, you're educated in. Like I'm open to the idea of us taking this money and investing it in real estate. And what happened the next morning, babe?
1: Well, you woke up the next morning. Mm-hmm
0: and and brent was not in bed
1: i <laughs> was gone i had literally gotten up and so i was just like laying in bed just like i couldn't sleep so i was just like got up super early and i literally uh aaron called me and she's like where are you like because typically like if i'd like you know making coffee or something in the apartment or whatever i was like i'm literally on my bicycle riding around campus because i'll tell you one thing that we learned um and if i was going to start over we could do a different podcast about like if we were to start investing yeah. all over again what would we do yeah um now that we know what we know it today but i think we were very fortunate in this that one of the best ways that i think what i love about real estate is that there's so many other factors than just putting money in like in a mutual fund or something you're not just trying to find the best thing with a return you can actually use your situation and your awareness of the market to essentially it's kind of like legalized insider trading because i knew um from listening to the podcast and stuff that college housing student housing was um really profitable way to go about doing something but also pretty risky right because you have college students and for those of you listening that were in college if you're a little you you know or you either were or knew somebody that was like man i think that they obliterated the house that they rented while they were in college so you know stories that way so i knew that with uh, the university that aaron was working at that there was going to be an opportunity for us to to get a property that was close to campus that would really be a great performing asset for students and i knew exactly because they were talking about booking places off campus there were like named houses that, you know, people loved. And I was like, you know, I think we could find a house that was really cute and we could actually have our own named house that was one that people were going after. So I wanted to ride my bike around the immediate proximity of campus and I was just looking, literally just looking at houses that were distressed that I was like, yeah, that one's crappy enough that I think we could probably fix it up a little bit and make it work. So that was kind of where I started. I was just riding my bike around campus. So literally that's what happened.
0: We went to bed. I told Brett, Hey, I'm open to the idea. The next morning, I call him. Where are you? He's on his bike, telling me, "I am finding our first investment property." So be careful what you say to the people in your world, because <laughs> things might happen really quickly. And in fact, they did. And we pended the house that we're going to talk about within a week. Of Three, that yes. It was call. like it
1: was like literally a couple of days. Yeah. So a, a little shout out to a woman named Carol who, if she listens to this podcast ever, that'd be great. Just send us a DM or something because it'd mm. be really fun to talk. But. Uh, She's a sweet agent up in Anderson who, she had a listing that was actually really close to the apartment that we were in. It was like $50,000. I was like, man, this is really cheap. I think it'd be great. So I called her at this point. I didn't even know like you're supposed to have an agent that represented you or anything like that. I just called the number on the sign and said, Hey, Carol, like I'm thinking about this house and I'm very, very grateful for her. She saved me from something that I think could have been way too daunting or adventurous for me. She said, Hey, have you ever invested in real estate before? And I said, no. And she said, okay, well then you should not buy this house. And I said, oh, really? And she said, well, yeah, this property has like asbestos insulation in the house. It needs to be all, it needs all new mechanicals. It's in terrible shape. You basically need to gut it and start over. And she said, if you're not experienced, I don't feel good about trying to get you to buy this house. And I said, okay, well, I appreciate your honesty. uh, But while I have you on the phone, uh, I really do want to buy a house. And she said, well, I actually have another listing coming up. Um, So this is a little nod. Maybe we can talk about a different podcast about pocket listings. It's like our first deal was a pocket listing. I didn't even know about what those were. And she said, I have a listing coming up with this awesome, sweet old man. It's on the other side of campus, but really great property. I think you should take a look at it. And I said, great, can we go look at it. So we were actually able to go look at it before it hit the market. Um, and then we, I think she still listed it, but they had an open house like that Saturday or whatever. So we locked I, it up before the open house. So yeah, it was a great opportunity for me to figure out what it looked like to try to find a property.
0: So that house literally from the front porch, you could see the intramural field of the university and we were able to get that house and purchase it for $83,500, which is just crazy to think about. And how we bought it was we did a typical Fanny Friday loan. That my dad co signed for. So we had to have somebody who had mortgage history and revenue to sort of support us in our first deal. Since, like you heard, we were living inside the dorm, we had never had a home before. And so for us, we had to have my dad go ahead and co sign on the loan, which was just him sort of validating us. He did not put any finances into the deal. So we took 20% of the, the purchase price as our down payment. That's what we had to do. And we put that into the home. So that was $16,700. So that nugget of 18000 we had saved up, <laughs> we spent most of that in the deposit for the home. Yeah, for down payment. And then what was interesting about this home that was really kind of quite cool is there was a four bedroom house in the front and then the back, was this garage that had a one-bedroom apartment on top of it. And it had previously been another apartment on the bottom. Yeah, there were
1: two one-bedrooms.
0: And then they had converted that apartment back to a garage. And so Brent, being super handy, being super scrappy, decided, hey, we are going to take the back unit and we're going to make it into another full home. So we took about $6,000 and we were very scrappy and made it into a three bedroom home. It was kind of weird, like the kitchen was upstairs, like it was a little bit different, but it was for college students. And so um, we were able to sort of have four to five uh, people rent the front home. And then we had generally like three people running the back home. All in, we had about $23,000, the 16700 for the down payment and the $6,000 that we then kind of just kept cash flowing from the photography business because we bought this property in July 24th, 2014. So literally dead middle of the first busy photography season. Oh. So like right as our business was starting, we were living below our means, living really scrappy. We were saving the money from the photography business. Like whatever we didn't spend in the business and maybe a little bit towards a boost in our lifestyle, we were saving it and we bought this property. super fun to think about, right? Bing? Oh my
1: gosh, yeah. It's so fun. Like thinking back through all the things that I learned and did. We, I mean, the, the $6,000 was just literally- sweat equity galore I mean we were getting deals from Menards and Lowe's and just oh I hung the drywall it was just my dad and my brother came and helped me and I'll never forget them saying like Brent you know you just for people who know me I just am one of those guys I live by the phrase that done is better than perfect a little too strongly I think and uh let's just say I'm really glad that we had gracious college students renting because the drywall was terrible but um
0: yeah. There are like one inch gaps in the oh. drywall that were like, Brent was like, well, will just caulk it. I'm like, okay. A lot,
1: so.
0: so that was the first property. So we had a mortgage then for about
1: like $66,000 or so.
0: Yeah, $66,000 because, you know, $83.5 for the purchase price, we paid 20%. And so of that, the actual mortgage cost was like $360. Bucks.
1: Yeah, it was a yeah. It's like it was it was. It's kind of crazy to think that that was the payment on it. So kind of how that worked out then, and then so that's just principal and interest. We also had taxes and insurance that we had to pay for. Which were how much are those? Taxes
0: were, were. We wrote this out. We had about eighty dollars in taxes, one hundred and thirty in insurance. And I'm just going to point out that the one hundred and thirty in insurance, we were paying two separate policies for the two separate homes, which will come into importance later in the story and so our total cost was $570 and then we also would kind of like pile up some money for repairs and things like that um, and maintenance and then we were doing the property management ourselves so we would say we generally profited because of the average four to five people renting the front at $275 a person uh, that's about 1,100. Could be up to like close to 1,400, and then the back house we rented at a little bit lower to 25, and we generally had three tenants, so that was 675. So our rent coming in was 1,775, or if we had the fifth person, you know, a couple hundred dollars more, and our cost was, you know, 700, 800 with saving a couple hundred dollars a month in the maintenance and repairs. So just to kind of like average it out, then we were making $1,100 a month and that would be 13200 a year. Profit. Profit. This is crazy. If we could redo this deal over and over and over and over again, we would. And that money directly, so like that eleven hundred dollars in profit, I mean, our our loan payments at that time, you know, were you know, like seven or eight hundred dollars
1: a month.
0: High. I mean, so we were spending a lot of that just straight off to pay off our loans and then continuing to like snowball some savings from it as well.
1: Yeah, that was the original pitch. That when we when we thought it through, was just I told Aaron, I say like, I really think that there's a way. It's risky because we don't know if it's going to happen, but if there's a way that we can do this, I think we can actually pull off. Instead of paying off, you know, taking that eighteen thousand dollars and paying off one of our loans, which would have decreased our monthly payment by maybe I don't know, hundred and fifty bucks or something. Let's actually, we could invest this and create another uh, revenue stream um, that would be able to pay all of the student loan payments. So now we've we had an asset that had. We took a pile and we turned it into a cash flow um, that was able to take care of that monthly cost, which was fantastic, which helped us in turn actually save more money to pay off our other student loans.
0: So yeah, so if we just were to look at how long we owned the property, we owned the property for five and a half years and that $13,200 annually, um, multiply it by five years, there was definitely some vacancy. There was some different like situations Sixty-six thousand dollars was how much we profited for the lifetime of owning the property in rent. But then something else happened.
1: Yeah. So when was this? This was in October of what? Twenty nineteen. Is that October right? October twenty nineteen. Yeah. So we
0: were in California, about to head to Joshua Tree with some of our dear friends.
1: Another thing, this is just insights to our marriage, but I a uh, classic Brent thing is that I'm late. So I was working at a Starbucks that one morning, and Erin <laughs> called me, and she was like, where are you? We're trying to go to Joshua Tree. You knew we were going to make a plan. I was like, honey, it's been one of those days. I said, we got to call. Wait, that-
0: before we talk about this, babe, we have to talk about the fortune cookie we read the night before. Oh, yes. Good. So the night before... And it's a fortune cookie, so it's just fun, right? But we we got Chinese takeout with our friends. You know, we're going to go to vacation trip the next morning. So let's just do like a quick, easy dinner. And we opened the cookie and the fortune cookie says, you will soon gain profit on an investment faster than expected. Or something, something like that. that. And I was like, ooh, that's exciting. That's fun. I wonder what's going to happen. Not that it really, like, anything was going to happen. It was just like a fun passing thought. Next day, on the phone with Brent, where the heck are you? And he says, it's been a really bad
1: morning, Aaron.
0: And I'm thinking to myself, what in the heck? Like, what's going on?
1: Yeah. The, it, <laughs> First of all, just a little caveat here. Tenants never will call you. Just, a, Just a general real estate comment if you get a call from a tenant, just know it's not going to be good. Double call. Oh boy. Double calls from tenants. Definitely not good. So I answered it and he was like, Hey, um, the house that we're living in caught on fire. (laughs) I was like, excuse me. Um, what's going on? And I could literally hear the fire trucks in the background. I was like, Oh Lordy, here we go. So he says to me, the back house is on fire. I don't know what to do. I think they're, coming in and they knocked out a bunch of windows and put it out and I said well is it like burning to the ground like can you take me pictures so he sent me pictures this outside the structure looks okay you can tell there's like smoke coming out of it I don't really know what the story is so I just immediately I don't even know if I I think I called a friend that was there to go check on it for me and apparently we had a futon that caught on fire somehow and it was one of these cheap faux leather futons that had like cell phone charger cords in it so like I have a suspicion that one of those things just malfunctioned and this futon just caught on fire and smoldered and just the entire second floor of the home was had a bunch of soot on it and i didn't know this at the time this is part of the another learning thing i could we could do a thousand podcasts on lessons we've learned but they had someone staying with them that had seizures i guess if they heard alarm systems he just told me this after this all happened so apparently that person was down the main floor of the property and they forgot to take out a carbon monoxide sensor which is just this illegal, bad, horrible thing. So, like, make sure your tenants don't mess with smoke detector. You need to have a smoke detector in every bedroom, carbon monoxide sensor on every floor. Fortunately, they didn't find one of them, and it went off still and woke her up. And they, Because
0: of the seizures, they had, un- they, they, they like literally unhooked disabled all. all of those, yes. except and for the one that they didn't know existed. Just mind-boggling.
1: So, they all get out. Everybody's safe. I'm just like, go stay somewhere. They found a place to go stay, um, and... Yeah, we were literally figuring out what to do. I was like, okay, I think this is going to be horrible. Like we've never dealt with an insurance claim. It's our first rental property. What are we going to do? So
0: our first ever rental property, literally the back house catches on fire. And remember how we said we pulled two insurance policies. So we didn't just have a policy on the back house for it being a garage. We had it as it being a full home, which was the right thing. And I think at times, Brett, you were annoyed, like, man, this is like a high payment for insurance, but we were doing the right thing by paying for two separate policies since there were two Yeah,
1: homes. The, the insurance agent had told us on doing both of them that way. I think the previous owner had it set up that way. And I was like, fine, we'll do it. Because I didn't even know how to like shop for insurance at the time. So I literally asked the guy I bought the house from, like, which insurance agents are you with? So I, so I just was went with that person, didn't know any different. Just yeah, sure, insurance. Uh, And I remember being annoyed uh, because generally, now that we know more, you can technically, your primary home can have an accessory structure coverage as well, which is what this would have been considered. We still had a policy on it as an additional structure. So submitted the claim with all of this. We were terrified. It was a very stressful time because we just didn't know. And turns out they came out, did a bid. And
0: and turns out that fortune cookie was right.
1: And they, yeah, so State Farm did a bid on that property to like remediate and everything and fix up the second floor. And they gave us a bid. I think the total all-in cost was going to be $67,000 to repair it. And I was worried. I, was just, I remember telling Aaron over and over again, making up all these horrible scenarios in my head, which is unproductive in general. But that I don't know how we're going to figure out how to do this. So when they said the 67000 I was like, oh my gosh, that's a great number. And he said, we'll pay out a cash payment of 9000 less than that. like It was like 58000 and I told the guy, I said, listen, like, do I actually have to do, like, how does this work? I was like, straight up with him. Do I have to do the repairs? What do we have to do here? And he say honestly, he's like, you don't have to do the repairs. We probably just won't insure the structure again and that you can't submit another claim for that property.
0: So just to be real clear here, they said $67,000 was going to be how much they paid us in insurance claim. To repair the property because that's what the person that came out and appraised it said it was going to cost us to repair it. And Brent said, "Do we have to do the repairs, or can we just take the money and like, is that illegal? Is that wrong?" And he said this where where he said, "No, you know, but we won't insure the property again, and you won't get that last nine thousand. So we would receive a check for fifty eight thousand dollars that we could do whatever we wanted." And we also received a check for about $3,400 for loss of rent. And so we decided, you know what, I think at this point, we were now living in Indianapolis. I was no longer working at the college. And we decided it was just kind of time for us to sell the property. And we were starting to scale some other things in real estate, which we'll talk about in a different episode. And so we just cashed out. So we ended up putting the house on the market and it sold for $90,000 with the back house being still very much in disrepair a February 28th of 2020 so we pended it and we sold it for 90,000 and Brent probably put like 4 grand him and a buddy went down there with a with a um dumpster cleaned it out kind of primed it to make it look less scary and then they were going to take on having to sort of redo the back house and figure that out. So cash out, just to kind of wrap up this episode and explain the full money picture, we had made $66,000 in our rent throughout the five years. We then made $61,400 between the $58,000 check from insurance and the $3,400 loss of rent check. So that was $127,400. And then we needed to take out the cost of the money that we put in, the 16700 in the 20% down payment, $6,000 to get the back house up and going. And then $4,000 was kind of what we did after the fire in order to fix it. And so then if we take one twenty-seven, dollars we subtract about 27000 which is kind of the total around there of what we just did, we're just over $100,000 in profit. So that investment that we decided to make back in 2014, when we were super scared, we had never done real estate before, we were not flush with cash, we were working really, really, really hard to make that little pile of cash, um, big pile of cash for us at the time, and decided to invest it it paid off all of our student debt. It was it was an amazing, amazing first investment.
1: If we ever could find more like that again, that'd be great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that is to say, like I don't, uh, people listening in, I, I that is kind of an anomaly. Obviously, most of the time, uh, we haven't had a house really catch fire since then or been able to cash out a policy like that. Um, and also just that, Actual profit for the money we had in is kind of unheard of. But we have done many, many investments since then that have paid very well, and we would do over again. And we would say, choosing to deploy our money, taking piles and t- making cash flows, we will do over and over again. And we've done over and over again. And now you we zoom up, zoom up now, we own currently 22 doors we're continuing to scale that we have 2.5 million right now in flip assets that we're working on what's our current portfolio that we have have,
1: so we have some rentals that we own with other partners that we've done in the city of indianapolis too but all that added up we're around seven million dollars in rental assets that we have now in our portfolio so yeah this and we will talk about this in future podcasts but There We didn't even do, this was not even a Burr method. I know that's a popular one going around. We can talk about that later. Aaron's an expert on that. This one was just a regular purchase that we had to leave $20,000 in while we had it. And it was a fantastic investment. So you can see why we might be a little biased towards real estate now.
0: Okay. So I hope that this conversation was super inspiring for you. I hope that it helped you kind of break down some of the numbers and see inside the nitty-gritty of how we made it all work at the very beginning. I would love to hear from you. If you listen to this episode, if you have questions, if you just loved listening and you're excited to invest inside of real estate, I would love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram. And I actually have something I'm working on behind the scenes. That's uh, an investing guide in real estate. I would love to get you that for free. So send us a DM, send me a DM, and I'll get that to you. I'd love to answer questions. Just talk about your vision, your dreams for investing in real estate because wealthy women plan and strategize for their future and they make their money work for them. Okay, cheers for now. Are you a creative entrepreneur looking for next level support when it comes to your money mindset and management? It's time to get on top of your numbers once and for all. Do you want to upgrade your lifestyle, make a bigger impact in the world, or gain more time back into your day? Your big dreams are all coming back to one thing, money. So I've developed a secret sauce money matrix formula to combine the power of an abundance mindset with money management tools, specifically for creative entrepreneurs like you. Stop hiding from your numbers and start getting strategic. Head to www.arenbridgman.com to learn everything you need to know about my coaching programs. It's time to completely transform and change the way you view and manage money so you can show up like the wealthy woman you are meant to be. Apply to work with me one-on-one at W.